Mark chapter 10. Finally made it there. It's kind of fitting to go along with this because the Mariners were just such a beautiful couple. And when you talked about the, you know, the sanctity of marriage and what it means to be married, they were just an incredible expression of that. So chapter 10 says this. Getting up, he went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God joined together, let no man separate. Uh, In the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she committeth adultery. Father, we just thank you today for your word and pray, God, for just a great anointing of your spirit upon us and upon the hearers, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we get some lights up in here? Is that possible? Hallelujah. I want to at least see who I'm preaching to. Are you out there? Amen. All right, just checking. So as I said, um, well, I guess I said it last year or whatever back in spring. Chapter 9 brings an end to the Galilean uh, ministries. And Jesus now, as you're beginning to see him making his truck towards Jerusalem. He said south to Judea, crosses the Jordan and passes through the area of Pera. The themes of chapter 10 kind of mirror those of chapter 9. It's about relationships, again, remain the primary principle. And I love this when you look at the verse or verse 1. You see him, it says he's going from here and there. And, he's, and again, according to his custom, once again, he begins to teach. So no matter where Christ is, he's always about the master's business. He's back in the public's eyes, preaching, he's teaching, he's healing again. You're never going to find the word idle used of Jesus. Come on. And if it isn't in his vocabulary, it probably shouldn't be in ours. And it says, you know, that he knows the thoughts. We know this. He knows the thoughts of all men and women. And he knows that even though he's preaching, people are going to reject him and reject the message. Yet he continues to press on. How many know there ought to be a little word for us in there? Sometimes it's dangerous to look at the fruit of your ministry. All right, come on now. Look around. Go, I know what he's talking about. Come on. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
Some sow, some reap. You never know where you're going to be. I just love the, uh, well, I heard a brother once say, he said, he didn't say that he's going to reward the good and successful servant, but the good and faithful. Amen. That's who the master says, come share in my happiness. So today I want to take a little bit and talk about marriage. How many in here hope to get married one day? All right. Marriage is defined as a monogamous relationship in which a man and a woman share a lifetime commitment to each other. Second only to their commitment to God. It's unconditional. It's lifetime commitment. It speaks of covenant where a man pledges his life and a woman pledges her life to each other and before God. The three collectively are a part of it. And now I'm not going to get into what is being defined in America of the domestic partners or homosexuality and all that stuff. I'm just going to take it that you bright Bible college students realize the sin of that. Amen? And it is not God's design, even though the world would try to tell you it's true marriage. It is not. Leviticus 18.22 says this, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. Leviticus 20.13, If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Romans chapter 1, 26 through 32, he talks about people being given over to degrading passions. You know, burning toward it, not a natural, look at it, not a natural function for which is unnatural. In the same way also the men abandon natural function of a woman and burning their desire towards one another, men for men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. I mean, I'm just, come on. And God says in the last times we're going to see that continue to degenerate. And how many know we're seeing it in our nation? We're seeing it inside the church. As the church can't even seem to get on the right side of the issue. I think it's, but at the same time, it's wrong for us. I had this conversation with the chairman of the board uh, yesterday, I think it was. But we were, I don't know how we got on this subject. But I was saying, you know, when it comes to this issue, I don't put homosexuals in a different category as fornicators and adulterers or thieves or liars. If you go through your Bible, when you go uh, in Corinthians and you get the, these shall not inherit the kingdom of God, you don't get fornicators, adulterers, and then in big bold letters, homosexuals. they all in the same category. They're all in need of Jesus Christ. Amen? Abomination speaks of that which stinks. It's odious, despised. It speaks about, it comes from the Hebrew idea of a polluted water filled with dead fish. Detestable. It's offensive. It's appalling to God. That's the way God looks at it. So today, when I share with you, I'm not here to condemn anyone. I want to begin by saying that. My desire is only to relay truth. You know, I'm not. So when you look at Malachi 2.16, very clearly it says, For I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And him who covers his garment with the wrong, says the Lord of hosts, so that take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Again, it's God. It's what God said. He says he hates divorce. So let's look over in Mark chapter 10. 
And he says here, the Pharisees come up to him and say, Hey, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? But if you look over in Matthew 19.3, we get a little more insight. Because this is what it was said also is, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Come on now. Jesus responds, hey, what did Moses tell you to do? They were going, man, we were hoping you were going to ask us that. So when you look at this, you got to remember now to understand the trap that's being set. Jesus is now back in the land of John the Baptist. And once again, they're trying to bring him in direct conflict with the Tetra Herod Antipas, you know, and his wife Herodias, which we know, according to Mark 6, what happened. Right. He went and married uh, his brother's wife. And we know from that that John the Baptist was thundering against that. That's what threw him in prison, in which ultimately what? Cost him his life. They're hoping they're going to drag Jesus into the same thing and hopefully see the same result. But I love Jesus, Luke 13, 31 through 32. He said this. Just at that time, some of the Pharisees approached him saying, Go away, leave here, for Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said to him, Go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day, hallelujah, I'll reach my goal. Hallelujah. You got to like that. So, when it comes to the rabbinical teaching, there are two schools of thought. The first school is the school of Shammai, which said the only way you can divorce your wife if she was unfaithful to you. Okay? If she cheated on you, that was the only way you could divorce her. But then there was a school of Hillel which was the pervasive thought of that day. They kind of held it onto the words we'll see in a little bit here, the idea for every cause. If you disliked her, get out of here. If you looked around and said, hey, this, she looks pretty fine. She looks better than the one I got. You need to go. Come on now. We're laughing, but the truth is we're seeing preachers do the same thing today. And they seem to have pretty uh, amazing TV ministries after they do it, too. That's another whole story. We'll get, leave that alone. If she cooks and burns the food. If she spoke to another man. If she went into public and didn't cover her head. I'll tell, you why. I'll tell you this story. <laughs> Last night, such a perfect example. <laughs> Last night, my wife was surprising me, and she was marinating these steaks all day, you know, getting ready for this special little dinner with me, her and I, you know, the little, little bread you dip in the olive oil, all that kind of stuff. She set it up so beautifully. And she said, 
All I need you to do is to take the steaks and cook them on the grill. I said, no problem. (laughs) So I put the steaks on the grill. I studied. Checked the steaks on the grill. I studied. Checked the steaks on the grill. I studied and studied and studied and heard her voice say, did you check this thing? I went, oh! I went out there. There was about a two-foot flame coming out of the... Oh, I know. I felt so bad. I had to t- I took him. And then my wife, Geraldine, you know, she's just so gracious because she's like, Honey, they're not that bad. <laughs> so we're, we're trying to enjoy this. And, and you know the steaks are bad when your wife is chewing the steaks and they sound like cornflakes. You know? <laughs> so for that reason, she could have put me out right there on the spot. So, man, anybody, my kids will tell you, Chris and Jen, they'll squeal on me a minute and say, don't even let dad make toast. That joker will burn it. <laughs> I just, I'm a, I'm a terrible cook for whatever reason, probably because I'm always thinking on something else. But this here you see is that the idea was they just wanted to put her away. You know, she was just like chattel. In other words, she was just a piece of property. I got sick of her. I could just move on. And Jesus, he goes, what did Moses say? If you turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 24, You'll see what Moses said. Moses said this, When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that he finds no favor uh, in his eyes, because he hath found, here it is, some uncleanness in her. Are you with me? Have found some uncleanness in her. Then let him write a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. Uh, And then he goes, you can read the rest of it down through verse 4. But what Jesus, so here it is, the idea that that school was trying to figure out, what what, what does some uncleanness mean? The one school said, man, this is just, you know, this is just fornication. This is just adultery. The other school said, well, some uncleanness could be any, you know, burn the toast, whatever. You know, you just kick her out. So Jesus comes back and he points him back to Genesis chapter one. Because what Jesus is doing, he's saying, well, yeah, I know what Moses said, but what was God's original intent? He said, God created man in his own image. Genesis one twenty seven, the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Genesis two twenty four. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall become one flesh. God's original intent. It was a God design, not a man design. Man didn't institute marriage. God did. He says that he put them together in union. The God's order, the oneness that he desired. He said this is what they were created for. And no one has the right to undo it. In other words, because when you divorce, you, you destroy the created order in which God intended. 
So the Pharisees, they seen marriage as an institution designed by man. And Jesus was coming back saying, ah, no, it's a divine institution governed by the laws of God, not your laws. So Matthew 19, 6, and we see it here too. So the two are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. There's union on equal terms. A death, you know, until death do his part. That's what you're going to say, hopefully. Come on. So then, well, then why was it necessary for Moses? Why did he allow us to divorce then if God's against it? Hmm, that's a good question, Jesus says. And he says, well, let me help you with that. It's because of the hardness of your heart he gave it to you. Hmm. So it testifies it wasn't God's desire, but it was because of the hardness of individual hearts. The same idea, the hardness is the same words he uses over the Gentiles when he speaks about them being alienated from God. Some scholars believe it was because of the polluted bloodline that was taking place or would take place, which we've seen in Ezra where he had to, he tried to dismiss their foreign wives because of the Messiah that was soon to come. So a little bit later after this, which you always love about the disciples, the disciples are going, yeah, yeah. I get that you're right. And then they get along and go, what were you talking about? <laughs> You've got to help us understand this, man. What do you mean? And Jesus was stressing the idea, are you ready? Be careful who you select as your partner. Because you're going to be stuck with that brother and sister the rest of your life. Come on now. Marriage, I've never seen, you know, it's one institution that you never see so much happiness and so much misery tied to the same institution. I'm serious. You know, it ought to be a joyous, man. I mean, you ought to just, that's what marriage ought to be. That's why you make sure you get the right one. I mean, you ever look at, if you look at the misery, you just think about, any of you guys know uh, youth or people that have come from divorced homes? Man, I've, usually their, their, their children are a mess. You know, you're always trying to counsel because of the hurt that they absorb. They think it's all their fault, and you've got to walk them through all those things that they deal with. I remember one time, and I used this illustration before, but I was uh, this kid in, in Warriors back in the day when I had the youth group. He was just trouble from the word go. Just, we could never get him, and finally they threw him off the bus one night and said, he's not getting on a bus. He's just too much trouble. And this, I took him in a back room, and I remember holding him and just saying, what is going on with you? And then he said, my mom and dad divorced, and my mom's got a, a new boyfriend, and I'm supposed to look at him like he's my daddy, and, and, but he doesn't love me, and he doesn't care a thing about me. And tears are just pouring, streaming down this kid's face. And I remember that kid just falling my arms. I said, well, man, I'll tell you what. I'll try to be the best father I can to you. You know, the problem was I didn't realize that this had all gone down and they had notified her mom. And while I'm looking this kid in the face, I'm not checking the door. So this whole conversation with the tears pouring down, the kid doesn't know it. I don't know it. The mom and her boyfriend have stepped into the room and they're right behind us listening to the whole conversation. I turned around and looked, and Mom had tears in her eyes, and she just took her son 
and just turned to me with tears and said, I just want to say thank you. And left. And you know what? That kid was never the same after that. I really believe that a lot of the trouble we see in the nation today is because of kids being raised in single homes without a dad, just like I was. You know? I mean, all my trouble with the law and all the stuff that happened in my life was really happened right after my father's death. So he goes on here and he speaks about <clears throat> the terms, which I just want to go over real quickly. One is adultery, the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Adultery is sin after marriage. Pretty obvious. Because in God's eyes, the marriage vow is still standing. The penalties, if you committed it, was death. It speaks about, again, the divine human relationship that goes on. Leviticus 20 and 10. If there's a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend, uh, a friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. It was a very serious offense. David, Psalm 51, 4, he says, Against you and you alone have I sinned. When we talk about him in Bathsheba, he realized the man who's, I not only violated my, my wife, but I violated you, God. Because there was a commitment between the three of us. Come on. And then what I said, for 1 Corinthians 6, you know, talks about no adulterer, no fornicator is going to make it in. We speak of fornication. It primarily speaks about sin before marriage. And all the petting that goes with it. Don't shout me down. In the word of God, it was looked upon as harlotry. 1 Corinthians 17, nevertheless to avoid for and let every man have his own wife. Man. In other words, you know, get married. 1 Corinthians 4, 3, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, they should abstain from fornication. And I know we hear much about the whole betrothal, you know, and the, which was the illegal agreement. And let me just step you through that. And I'll tell you what, while I do that, turn over to Matthew chapter 1. Because what would happen is once you decided that this was the woman that I was going to marry, the fathers would get together. And the father would say, I give this, you give that. We accept that these two are going to be married. They are considered married once that contract takes place right there. But listen to me. The marriage isn't consummated for almost another year. I think you all know what consummated means, right? Come on now. Bright Bible college students, I think you know. In other words, even though we have this legal document, it means we aren't touching each other. Why did they do that? Because the, the marriage has become so paganized that it was the way to ensure that this woman didn't have relations with somebody else. And all of a sudden discover she became pregnant. Well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, why don't you turn over to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 24. Because, boy, you just can't get a better example than Jesus himself. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother had been betrothed, look at what? Betrothed what? To Joseph. Before they came together, she found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Before the marriage was consummated. 
And Joseph, being a righteous man, didn't want to disgrace her. Why? Because if she was found to be, you were supposed to bring her before the courts and declare her immorality. But he loved her so much, he said, I just can't do it. So when you look at that, you can go through that whole passage there. It's the idea that gives you the explanation right there that even though they were taught to each other, they didn't touch each other. Otherwise, this passage makes no sense. Then why would Joseph have thought it was his child? Because there was that space. But the marriage hadn't been consummated yet. So sexual union wasn't exclusively monogamous relationship and marriage. You see Genesis again, human sexuality. Then you see uh, Genesis 2.24, the sexual union and marriage. That's part of God's creation and his purpose. So as I close this out, let me just real quickly. Number one, you know, God's action is God's design. God created male and female. Two, the oneness was in that plan. A man shall leave his father and mother. The two shall become what? One. That's his intent. Therefore, he says, well, God's joined together. Don't let any man try to destroy that. Amen. No man has the right to separate that. Why? Here's the key. Because it is a picture of the covenant relationship between God and his church. Which you find in Ephesians 5.22. So what is it then? Your marriage and my marriage is a picture of covenant. That this world sees the relationship between Jesus and his church. And why your marriage and my marriage ought to be the salt and the light within the earth that it's called to be. Man, you are awful quiet in here today. So to walk away from your marriage to another relationship is a picture of Christ and his church, and Christ is never going to leave his church. Everything that God does, we know he does through the mechanism of covenant. Ephesians 2.12 talks about that. He says, at one time you were separated from, excluded from the commonwealth of strangers to the covenants of promise. Romans 1.31 talks about we live in a time where covenant is just, it's the foundation of all sin. In other words, you can't trust people that don't hold in covenant. That's why marriage is so important. Hebrews 13.4 says this, let marriage be held in honor among all. It ought to be precious. It ought to be treasured like gold, silver. It ought to be revered. It ought to be respected. It ought to be esteemed. It ought to be valued. It shouldn't be entered into lightly. You better know who you're marrying. Well, but the scripture says if we burn in lust, we ought to just go ahead and get married. Well, let me help you. You'll burn in lust before you get married, and you will burn in lust after you get married. Marriage will not stop the lust. So if you want to dress like a hoochie mama to catch him, you better hold steady, baby, because you're going to grow old. You better hear what I'm saying. Because your hooch is only going to last so long. And somebody looking a little better is going to come along. And snatch them away because you married in lust. It wasn't love. Just telling you, I've, I've been counseling students for years over this same issue. And the marriage always disintegrates. Well, I thought, yeah, well, you thought what? 
You're letting them play house, touching, all kinds of stuff before you ever even got together. That in itself, the Bible says, no, you're not you're the temple of the Holy Ghost. Don't you know when you gave that, when you go to Corinthians, it talks about, man, you've been joined to Christ. Well, we're going to get married. That's got nothing to do with it. Until that rings on that finger and there's an I do and that thing's sealed and dealed, there's no touching. She's married to Christ. Get your hands off her. Respect her for the woman of God that she is. Problem in today's society is women, you're burning about as much lust as men are today. Don't shout me down. So how do you honor marriage? You marry somebody only in the Lord. And he wants like, uh, 1 Corinthians 7.39. A wife is to be bound as long as her husband lives. But if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes. Only in the Lord. I don't want to hear no junk about missionary dating. I'm going to marry this brother. I'm going to turn him around. Jesus ain't turning him around. Who do you think you are? I want to get this up. That sister be slapping the snot out of you a week from now. Come on now. Second Corinthians six four and do you not uh, and do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with laws, and what fellowship is light with darkness? You just you have no scriptural reference to do it, guys. Number two, when you enter into marriage, remember that it is a union of two sinners, saved by the grace of God. Ephesians two eight and nine. Man, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. I mean, mine's close. I said it again. Mine's close. <laughs> you want me to say it a third time, Ryan? <laughs> Man, you better learn how to say I'm sorry. <laughs> Hallelujah. I love it when students uh, invite me over to their houses. And I look at that living room couch. I said, man, that couch is pretty worn out right there. (laughs) No comment. I know there's been a brother sleeping on that a lot right there. (laughs) Marriage is a picture of God's grace. Amen. There ought to be forgiveness continually running through your marriage. And when there isn't that grace, it's not going to make it, guys. And then the last thing is, again, live a sanctified life. Joy is found in holiness. Christ gave himself to make the church holy. So what does Hebrews 13, 4, the last part say? Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For uh, fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So in other words, those things defile the marriage. They defile the marriage bed. Again, having sexual relations outside of marriage, man, just, I just don't get that stuff. God made marriage, amen, and, it ought to, and he made it marriage alone, and it's the safe place, the ultimate place, the ultimate joy where sexual relations should be experienced. One of the things that Gerald and I, when we first got married, uh, we, just, we just made a thing with each other and said, you know what? In this house, no matter how much <clears throat> I want to knock your head off or you want to knock my head off, come on. We we never going to let the word divorce ever come up. 
We're just never going to give the devil place. We in this thing all the way to the end. Amen? And I, you could probably count on one hand the number of times in the, in the nearly whatever 30-some-odd years I've been married to her that the word divorce has ever come up in a battle between the two of us. Once you sow that seed, and some of you come from divorce homes, and the first time you get in a fight, you want to throw that card down on the table. You need to knock it off. Because you sow that seed, husband or wife, long enough, it won't be long before that prophecy comes true. One of the things I always say, and, and to married couples all the time, I say, you know what? I see my job as a very simple job. I'm going to love her with all my heart, and my job is to ensure she makes it to the other side. And I'm not going to do anything that would hinder her from making it to the other side. Amen? And I'm not going to let anybody hinder her from making it to the other side. Amen? That's my job. She's a gift that God has given to me. And I want to treasure her for the gift that she is. I love my wife with all my heart, man. And I hope you, when you get married or whatever, those of you that are married, I pray that you can say the same thing. She or he will be the greatest gift outside of Jesus Christ coming to your life that you will ever receive. And I hope that you treasure your marriages that way. I hope that before you hook up with somebody, you make a decision that's like, man, do I want to be with this individual the rest of my life? Because once that ring goes on that finger, there is no retreating. Now, the world will tell you you can't. You got bishops running around that will say you can dismiss this and, hey, look where I'm at today. Come on now. You got mega preachers that will tell you the same thing. I don't care. I'm telling you what the Word of God says. I'm back at Jesus' place saying, yeah, but what's the Word say? I don't care what you think or what you say or whatever. I, 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 yeah, but look at my ministry's blown up since I did. I seen her walk down the aisle. I dismissed my wife. I took care of her. Look at my ministry's blowing. I don't care. What's the word say? Because this nation's so shallow, they follow anybody. Come on. As long as you got a song or whatever, a poem and a few other things, they'll be there every week. The problem with that is because we live in a nation that doesn't suffer persecution for our faith. Let's face it, guys. We know if persecution hit this nation, we'd wonder how many people are truly living for Christ. It would separate the tares and the wheat pretty quickly. And probably many of the mega churches that people talk about, they would just about be empty when it's through. So I do want you to fall in love. Because it is God's original design. Unless you feel like God's called you to a life of celibacy. Come on now. I didn't get one shout on that. I ain't feeling that. (laughs) We settled that real quick. (laughs) Nope, checked it. Nope, that ain't me. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Father, we love you today. God, probably no other thing keeps men and women in ministry 
or takes men and women out of ministry, than the institution of marriage. So God, I pray today that for the students here and those that are watching by cohorts, that God, I pray that you would help them find the right person. A person that would love them with all their heart. That would cause their dreams and their visions just to flourish that they'd raise up godly children that would know you and fear you. That would know what it means to respect their mother and their father. So God, I pray for them today. I pray for the covenant of marriage. And I, God, I pray today, God, that it would be treasured and respected at the level that it deserves. It truly is a picture, God of Jesus and his church which he died and bled for to sanctify it to make it pure to make it holy to make it presentable before the Father God may that be said of us may each of our marriages God be truly a representative of the covenant of Jesus and the church. So God, I pray for the married folks here today, those that are watching by the webcast. I pray for your blessing upon their marriage. I pray, God, that you'd only give them eyes for each other. I pray, God, that the word divorce would be just rid, run out of their house, never to be mentioned again. But that, God, you would help them to fall in love at a level that maybe they've never known before. I just thank you for it today. So bless the student body. Pour out your spirit. Encourage strength to them. And today, God, may the joy of the Lord be their strength. God, from this place, we declare that you are raising up apostles and prophets and evangelists, great shepherds and teachers that, God, you're going to send around the world. And, God, I just thank you for it today. And we give you praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.